0: Ryan Reese Show from, from Southern California, California. California. This is the Ryan Reese Show. Post your questions using at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Are you ready?
1: What is happening? I am pumped for this uh, show tonight. I got my friend Scott Fraser in studio. Zooming in. Um, I met him through Zach, which was one of our friends. at the, the management um, through uh, with Lacey Sturm and. Uh worked with uh, Sonny and several other of uh, the Whosoever Ambassadors. But you guys probably heard Zach's story on our radio show uh, about, I don't know, two years ago. He ended up searching for God during the, the COVID and found him and got discipled. Now he's doing great things. Then he gives me a call and he says, you got to meet my friend Scott Frazier. He has an amazing story. He's an um, amazing believer and he works in the mainstream uh, music industry managing bands. So... We finally connected. I don't know how many emails went back and forth or text messages, but as you know, he's busy. We're busy, but we connected, and uh, after connecting with him and just hearing his story, I had to bring it on the air because there's so many cool stories out there, but this one is a true story of God's grace and redemption. So tonight is going to be epic. Scott, what is happening? Good to see you, man.
0: Man, good to see you too, man. I'm so glad I could uh, be a part of this. This is going to be super, super fun.
1: Yeah, so I, I want to let people know kind of what you do. You obviously work for 10th Street Management, which is uh, a, a large um, a booking agency, and you managed some pretty well-known uh, large acts for, for many years. Um, but before we get into that, and I want to get into how you even started this, because this, this is why I love having interviews like someone like you. Because you're a believer, you're a preacher's son, which is awesome, which I, I read uh, a little bit about you today on, on that, um, which we have those similarities, which is cool. But what's so awesome is that you're a believer and you've been working in the mainstream industry. There's a lot of people that get saved or if they just grow up saved, they just try to stay in the church bubble or the Christian bubble. But you have been able to navigate Um, working in the mainstream, but staying the course and being a Christian. And that is so inspiring to me because I obviously got derailed and I just went into the world and then came back, but then continue to want to work in the mainstream because my heart is for those people. But your testimony is so powerful that you never derailed. You stood your ground and you're able to navigate in this music industry being a Christian, which is not uh, easy by any means, and we'll 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 get into all that stuff. But so, where'd you end up growing up?
0: So so as a um, as a young man, um, uh, being a preacher's kid, as you can imagine, um, <laughs> you really don't have a place that you grow up. You move around a lot. My dad would plant churches. We'd move around a lot. Matter of fact, it's really interesting. My dad was a um, as a young kid. We grew up, you know, had a pretty good upbringing, and my dad was in corporate America. He wasn't even a minister at that time. Oh, no I'm way. like four years old, and my dad comes home one uh, one Sunday and talks about how he accepted Christ and um, sold the house, moved us to Johnson City, Tennessee, and my dad joins Bible college and just relocates our whole family. And I went from having a nice house to living in a trailer uh, <laughs> for, for four years of my dad's college uh, you know, uh, tenure. And so after that, it was just a lot of church plants and moving around and bouncing around a lot. And then somehow I uh, was able to come back home to where I was as a young kid into the same area, uh, which was in Southern Indiana, um, right across the bridge from Louisville, Kentucky. And that's that's really where I, where I grew up it was Indiana and a little bit of Kentucky as well.
1: So obviously you were, you know, I know that you're a, manager when did you get introduced to music like what curious what was the uh what was the band or the album that you heard that just really turned you on to music and you were just like whoa this is amazing so yeah so it's it's
0: interesting man it's um, i don't know if it was a so t- to understand the story i guess you got i, I grew up in a my, my house my household was pretty crazy um and i don't want to dig too deep but I had a, there were some issues with my, with my mother growing up and, you know, I didn't, uh, there was some abuse and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And as a young boy, um, you, you you try to find something that you could hold onto or some, some sense of hope or something. And I just remembered as a young kid, and this is going to date me, but back in the day, there was those transistor radios. It has the little dial on the side and I would go to, I would go to sleep at night and I would put that that uh, transistor radio under my pillow. And all I would do was just to take away the pain was just scroll until I heard music. And then when a commercial would come on, I would just keep scrolling until I'd hit another channel that had music. Hmm. So I was really and, and I think that's why I'm so diverse in my musical taste to this day, because I, I was it was gospel music. It was it was the Beatles. It was yeah. you know it was you know rock and roll. It was it was everything. And I just wasn't even so much for the music; it was the message. I just wanted to hear songs and let those lyrics kind of speak to me um, in a way that would take away some of that pain. So that's really what was my first introduction to music. So that's
1: where, yeah. So but, that's where it started. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, but the craziest part is, so my brother was a savant. Um, musician, like those kids you see on TV, like just pr- playing piano prolifically at four years old, you know, and uh I, I, I'm at such a young age, I didn't really understand. I just knew that my brother, my brother's playing the piano, and I don't know how he learned how to do that. Right. And about sixth grade, man, is when I, uh, I really started to understand that my brother had this God-given gift. And literally, man, this is crazy. Like from like 12 years old, all the way through high school, I was always like, I'm going to be your manager someday. I'm going to get you a record deal and we're going to do this as bros. And, and, uh, you know, and, um, that's, that was really w- what got me into like even having a dream of even doing this. I mean, I'm like some kid from Jeffersonville, Indiana, like telling his teachers, you know, he's going to manage rock bands. It's you, know, weird. You,
1: you know, what's interesting is like, I feel like God gives you those, those little promptings or those desires. Cause even like when I was in school, I had, a, I, I had these, these desires or these wants to do events. So I started throwing parties, it like high school parties with DJs and different things, which ended up turning into music festivals later on in my life, doing those and working in the, in the music industry. So here you are, God's giving those promptings, and they start as young as, as, as high school to see what you're going to do. It sounds so huge and massive and, and crazy, but yet God had that in your, in your heart from a young age.
0: Yeah, he, he did, and and uh, and you know it's interesting because, um, and I don't want to jump jump around, but I, I I my high school year, you know, my senior year of high school, you know, how you have your teachers are like, what are you going to do next year? Son? Yeah, what are you going to? And you're like, well, uh, duh, I'm going to manage rock bands, yeah. you know, and they're like, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Frazier, we you know we need to talk to you about your son's <laughs> vision and grandpa, uh, and for some reason, I decided that I was going to join the Marine Corps. Um, because I thought that uh, in my brain that the Marines were this elite, you know, organization and that the discipline and the focus and everything that dad, if I'm going to manage David, then my brother, then if I'm a Marine, I'll be able to do anything. And I I did that. I I actually, uh, um, I joined the Marine Corps. My brother followed suit and then I worked in corporate America for 10 years trying to, you know, make a break and, you know, but I don't know if you remember these days, you know, when you would call and you'd uh, you'd, you'd try to call record labels because, you know, you, you finally found a number and mm-hmm. then you'd get some recording. You know, we don't accept unsolicited material. I spent years of that, man. And then I thought, well, hell, I'll just go to uh, I'll just go to daggone uh, Nashville and go talk to record labels there. And they'll no problem. No not the case.
1: No. But I ended up
0: getting David signed uh, to Atlantic Records in 2001.
1: How, how, was, that, um, how was that possible? How would you get through to even get, get them to the demo so, or to meet with them? So,
0: okay. So hearing all those recordings of like, it's not our policy to accept yeah. unsolicited material. One day I'm sitting around and I'm like, okay, so, all these people who are quote unquote reputable had to be unreputable at some point in time. So right. how do I get to be reputable? So I had this epiphany. I'm like, maybe if I have a roster, maybe if I have like multiple bands, then they'll, they'll take me serious. And um, I was, I, 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 there was a band from our hometown uh, called days of the new. And I remembered them. I read in the newspaper that they had just got signed to Geffen records. And, and I remember reading in there about this guy named Scott Litt that had uh, signed them at Geffen. So me being just this tenacious dude, I'm like, oh, all right, perfect. I'm just going to call Geffen Records and ask for Scott Lit. Well, it didn't work out like that. Um, I did get through to somebody. They allowed me to, to send the music, and I did. And they, they were like, this is good, but it's you know, it's not really what we're looking for. And then they like I'll tell you what. I've got a friend that works at this label. Why don't you tell them that I told you to call there? And so I was like, I started to kind of put some names together. Right. And um, <clears throat> one day I'm sitting around. And uh, I I just, I I remember reaching out to our local record store at the time. And um, I asked John Timmons at your Excellency, I said, Hey man, I said, who's the hot band in town? And he's like, well, there's this band called flaw. And they, uh, I think they signed, they signed with some big management company, but then I heard that they might've left them because of troubles. And, and he said, but I've got the guy's pager number. If you want to call him, call this dude's pager number. And, uh, (laughs) I ended up calling these guys and meeting with them and told them that I, you know, had a couple of names in the business. I was like, I'm not, I'm nobody, but I'm just this hungry guy. And, um, they were actually my first deal before my brother.
1: That's amazing. Um,
0: I took that band to New York city, never been in New York in my life and, uh, loaded up a matter of fact, I, I took my dad's credit card, horrible mistake and bought all this gear for this band, like bought them drums. And I, I think I spent like 10 grand on my dad's credit <laughs> card and, uh, and then put them in the studio, recorded this demo and started sending it back out to the labels that I had been talking to. Right. And one day I called the band. I said, Hey, we're, we're going to New York, never been. And I said, we're going to CBGB's. Cause I thought that was like, you know, if you go to CBGB's, right. that was like iconic, And I made up some, some thing about, you know, I had this, that all these labels were coming out to see me. I took them there. This is crazy story. Take them there. And uh, I drove the RV and the trailer. We went and played this gig at at, uh, CBGB's first two songs. Nobody's in the building. No one's in there. Nobody. And then all of a sudden some people start trickling in. They played this killer set. And at the end of the set, I'm getting ready to, I'm helping the guys load their gear off. And this guy walks up to me and he hands me, a uh, hands me this portfolio. And it was like, and it said Republic records on it. And I opened it up and it was like Chubbawamba, Godsmack, Oleander, all these bands. And it was Avery Lippman, who is the, the, the president and uh, co-chairman of Republic universal records. And, and uh, asked me to stay overnight. And wow. they offered the band a deal the next day. And um, I called my my wife. Now we were dating, but I called her, and I the first thing I said was, "I'm reputable now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm legit. I made it. Yeah, Dude, and that's then, and that, six, that's incredible." And six months later, what's that? I said that is uh that is incredible. Um, because you know, obviously we're we're believers, and we know that we believe in the spirit led life, and. As you're having a relationship, this is for the listeners, as you have a relationship with God. Because this is always the conversation. I don't know how many kids come up to me at schools or whatever. Hey, I'm trying to get signed, this and that. What do I do? And I'm like, listen, if you have a relationship with God, if it's his will, he's going to line it all up. I mean, look at what you're doing. You, you tell this man, you buy him equipment. It's a step of faith. I mean, that was incre- that was crazy on the dad's credit card, by the way. But then... Yeah you're led God's giving these promptings to go, you know, you know, I don't even know if you even know it, but he's having you do this by faith. And then he brings that person, you know, and it's, it's by being in God's will. If it's his choice and it's his will to do it, he's going to line it up. No one's there, but the one guy shows up and like a couple others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really just... crazy. And then, and then six months after that, that, and then my um, six months after that, my brother got his, his record deal uh, on Atlantic records with uh, uh, Jason Flom signed his band. Uh, my brother was the singer of that band. And um, I guess that kind of really is the beginning of the true testimony of the whole thing, because you know, how old are you? My brother, I, I'm 53 now.
1: Oh, well, how old were you then when you got that, when you, Oh, got oh I'm sorry. I was, um,
0: Gosh, thirty.
1: Okay, just turned thirty. Got it.
0: Cool. Yeah, and um, you know, and and of course, really funny story. Um, they had they. Had, I didn't. Have, I was so green, had no idea. I was reading, you know, the old everything you need to know about the music business, and thought I was, you know, I was just trying to soak up everything. And I remember sitting in that office, man, when we did that, and uh, they were like, "Well, what kind of a royalty split are you looking for?" And this and that, and of course, I didn't. I didn't have a clue. Right. And I, I, I my, my answer was really funny. I said, um, I said, Elton John's on this label. Right. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, well, I have to think that he had a pretty good attorney and whatever. I said, so whatever deal you gave Elton, I'll, we'll, I'll take that deal. No. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd that go? <laughs> they were like, there, there was like, uh, we'll, we'll just talk to your attorney. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was just thinking, but, here you are. That's why I asked your age. So you're 30 years old. I mean, at least you're not 22 or something, you know, at least you got some but you're still green. It's it's a whole new industry that you're learning. But here you exactly. are sitting at these record labels looking at you. Man, okay, so you you signed them. Things you're taking off. I mean, are you are you touring at this time? Are you did, yeah, were you married?
0: So, so I was yeah, I was everything actually. I was uh, you know, as a lot of us managers are, I'm sure Zachary would would, would relate to this too, but I was everything. I, I was the tour manager. Yep. I was the manager. I drove the van. I, yep. I I slept on the floor of Red Roof Ends and and uh, you know all of that. I was literally in the trenches. And that kind of goes back to the Marine thing because yeah, you know, being in the Marine Corps, I didn't care. I just, I'll sleep anywhere, you know. Yep. And uh, I, I felt like it built it built camaraderie between me and the artist too, man. To just be able to. you know for them to view me as like like man this dude's like working for us but he's like sleeping on the floor and giving us the bed kind of thing that is amazing um,
1: yeah that is is amazing so things are taking off with you what um so how how is it being a christian you know during this time managing these bands what were what were some pivotal uh things that happened during this journey
0: yeah, so so this is really the beginning, I guess, of of the of the, of the whole story. You know, all that other stuff sounds great and cool and all, but this is really where I saw God show up uh, in a huge way for me. I, I accepted Christ as a young man, but um I, I always like you said at the beginning, it's like I always knew that if I just kept him in the focus that he would just guide those steps somehow. Yeah. Uh, and 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 there was a lot of doubt. And, but somehow I just stayed faithful to it. And I attribute a lot of that to people around me, but long story short, my brother, um, my brother got his deal and my brother ended up getting, uh, um, struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found out that my brother was, uh, was using, you know, uh, drugs and, um, consequently lost everything. Like he lost his record deal. I was actually on the bus with them, um, and we were touring around and doing, you know, chasing radio markets and whatnot. And um, I'll never forget it. I was in Dallas, Texas, with him, and and um, we had this big event that we were supposed to do, and he missed that. He missed it, and it was set up by the record label, by the CEO of the label. Dang. And He called a favor in to have that happen, and then David didn't show up. And when he finally showed up, uh, he was high out of his mind. And uh, of course, he and I get into a, a brother. Thing in the parking lot and I'm like how could you do this and we're fighting each other in the parking lot but they uh the label let him go and um you know it was a, it was a combination there had been multiple things that had happened leading up to that but at that moment um that's where everything came to an end and they basically dropped him from his deal and he spiraled into a really dark place and uh man I I, I was so bummed out because of because of it not, not because of that he was on drugs, but it was like, man, we were supposed to do this together, man. Yeah. This was supposed to be our journey together. Yep. So for the next 10 years, man, I, I continued on in the music business and, and got more and more successful, but I've never left my brother, man. I, I literally, I chased him down and I pursued him over and over and over again, putting myself in harm's way, going into trap houses, just doing just, stuff that I look back and I'm like, man, what were you thinking, you know, to mm-hmm. get him, to get him. Okay. Cause he's my brother, you know, yeah, I can't course. leave my brother behind. And, uh, um, and then fast forward about eight years. Um, this one night, this is really crazy. This one night, uh, uh, my mom and I are not very close, you know, as I told her earlier in the, you know, we don't, there were some issues there, but, my brother had just, he had disappeared. Nobody had heard from him for weeks. And, uh, I get a phone. I'm on my way back from Atlanta. I'm driving through Nashville. I get like 30 miles outside of Nashville. And, uh, my mom calls me, Scott, we found him. He's at a truck stop in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm like, wait, ho, ho. I'm like, you you found him. What? And she's like, yeah, he just called. He's at a truck stop and he's, he's going to take his life. And you, I don't know where you are. I was like, well, I just drove through Nashville. I'm literally 30 miles outside of Nashville. Well, I turned a car around. And I found my brother in a truck stop and he had, uh, they had knocked his teeth, teeth out and his teeth were broken. Um, he was absolutely a mess. He looked like a bum on the streets. And uh, I took my brother home, didn't know where I was going to go. And my dad actually that next day happened to be going to a, to go speak for some men at this place called pure life ministries. And um, that Sunday, my dad's speaking to all his men and he brings my brother with him. Cause he didn't know what to do with him. Right. He's like, I have to go to this speaking engagement and then you're going to, we'll figure out what we're going to do with you after. Right, exactly. At the, uh, at the end of that uh, thing, um, my dad breaks down in the middle of his sermon, talking to these men and said, I can't, he just started crying. He said, like, I can't contain this. He goes, that's my son sitting in the back row there. And my he's he's high on drugs as we speak. And before my dad could even finish those words, all the men in that building stood up and they all went to the back and they were all around him in a circle praying over my brother. Dang. And uh, they were getting ready to leave. Oh my gosh! And the guy chases my dad down and says, hey, I don't want you to leave this place without leaving your son here we have a bed that opened up and we'd like to keep him here. And it was a place for men that are struggling with every kind of addiction, sexual addiction. You know, right. some men had had businesses and CEOs lost everything, lost their marriages. My brother said uh, God has t- turned his life around got saved um, there. And uh, to this day, my brother has a doctorate in theology wow. and wrote a book. And uh, now he travels around he speaks to people and, um, they did his story on the Seven Hundred Club on yeah. TV and mm-hmm. stuff, and
1: that's that's, that's correct. Inco- that's incredible yeah. because you know, some that's encouraging for you know parents or friends and family that are listening now because there you hear story after story of people that are they seem that they're so far gone. They're in the hospital. They're in rehab. They're living on the streets because of the the crisis with drugs and like I said, like sexual addiction or a- any kind of gambling, there's all these different addictions. You know, the Bible talks about these footholds and these strongholds that the enemy gets on us. But none of those are too great for Jesus Christ. You know, it's when you give yourself to God and you make that turn and say, God, forgive me, and I want you to change me. And you allow him to enter into your life and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to change. It's going to be a bumpy process. It's not, your brother's story is probably a, it's a bumpy road to recovery, but... The guy has a, you know, he has his, his theology. He, he has a book out. I mean, he's, he's touring. I mean, look what God did completely did a 180 in his life. Just incredible.
0: Well, it's interesting you said that because the, the, the book that he wrote is called 180 Days Behind the Curtain.
1: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was a six month uh, devotional that he wrote. Um, and he called it 180 Days because. 180 days to do a complete turnaround a
1: turnaround. Yep. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. I got to hear more about your, your brother. So now he, he's doing good. So yeah. now what's, what's next in, in your life at this point? So, I mean, that's, that was a huge pivotal moment in your walk yeah. with God and with your family.
0: It was, and it was, um, you know, it was like, um, it was at that moment I'm look where I really started to understand like, okay, um, you got this. I know what you're doing and um, I just, I kind of put, I kind of put blinders on and, um, you know, kept, kept trudging along, you know, found another couple of of artists and just continued to, uh, to grow myself professionally. Um, And then, uh, and it's the craziest thing. And I don't even know if this is the right time to say it or if if it's cool to say it, but man, so all that happened. And then I have a daughter Mm-hmm. Who is, uh, who was 16 at the time and, uh, found out that my daughter started struggling with addiction as well.
1: Dang. And that must've been uh, brutal because I have daughters and I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day cause I interviewed so many different people and I'm just thinking like, yeah. I'm thinking, man, if my daughter daughters would get involved with stuff, I'm like, it would be so, so heavy, you know? And now here you are just seeing your brother now your daughter
0: yeah and so yeah i started dealing with that and um you know and it's it's interesting because you know we talk about how i live in live in louisville kentucky and have my whole career i did that on purpose or at least i thought i was doing it on purpose and it turns out now later in my life that i realized it wasn't really me doing it
1: talk talk a little bit more about that concept just just so people can hear like
0: so, so, yeah, so I, I decided to stay in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, because I, I knew just from what I had read and hearing stories that, you know, the music business can can tend to be a little bit of a plastic world, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah. And it's not a very godly place. Historically, there's not a lot of Jesus in that. And so I was like, okay, I have a family now. I, I have my wife and I'm going to And I told my wife then, I said, look, if I can have success in music, but I can stay home and shield you and everybody away from the plastic side of the business. And I can just go hop on a plane and then come back home and be dad. That would be ideal. And of course my wife was like, yeah, that sounds ideal. Uh, But, uh, that's exactly what I did, man. And I I stayed in, in my hometown for my entire career. And, uh, I just, you know, we have offices in LA and New York and, uh, and abroad, and I go do that, and go be rock star manager, and then come home, and uh, and I'm dad, and I go to church, you know, on Sundays, and my kids get to live a, you know, see their grandparents, and be around their friends, and have some semblance of of normal life without being wrapped up in that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of evil stuff, man. Yeah. You know that you got to kind of protect your your family from.
1: And we've, we've heard the stories, I mean, we've heard the stories of different musicians and friends, of, of their kids being around the environment, growing up in it, and then getting derailed, right? I mean, we've heard that story over and over, but I think it's so awesome that you were actually, that God opened the door for you to be able to do that. But then, as you know, the enemy is, he comes to seek, kill, and destroy, and he wants, to, he wants to take out our children, divide our family, and whatever he wants to do, and then all of a sudden you hear about your daughter that's 16 years old. So she's in high school at this time. Yeah,
0: so so it started off really – it was like <clears> – <throat> it was little things. It wasn't like full-blown addiction. It was like yeah. – she was uh, – because she, she was a star volleyball player. Like D1 schools were like reaching out to her like in, in, in high school. And then her junior year, she just quit. And I told my ex-wife at the time, I said – her mom, I said – something's not right. Yeah. I said, totally. Something is not right. I said, she's from, to get colleges calling. And then all of a sudden just quit. I didn't know. I didn't know the, 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 the depth of it until years later, but apparently she started with pills and it went from that to et cetera, et cetera. But then it led to, uh, to opiate addiction yep. and heroin. And,
1: uh, heard this story so many times for
0: the next, for the next 10 years, man. Um, you know like I, and I don't want to bounce around but I thought that the reason that I stayed in Louisville was because I was going to shield my my family and I thought I was doing some you know a uh, novel thing to keep them there and now today I look back and I know exactly why because he put me in a place where he needed me to be because he knows everything and right. he knew that she was going to go through that and I believe to this day that the stuff that I went through with my brother I believe it gave me the tools and the knowledge and the wherewithal because I think my, I think God knew, I don't think, I know he knew. Yeah. I need to get you sharp and I need to get you battle tested because the battle that you're going to face with your daughter is going to be the hardest one you fought yet. And it was, um, it almost, it it, it almost, uh, destroyed my, my marriage now. And, um, well, I want to said this thing.
1: Go, go ahead. We're going to, we're going to go to a break here in a minute, but go ahead and okay. finish your last thought. I just, you know, I'm,
0: I just, I go back to this thing. It's like, you know, my wife would be like, why are you leaving to go find Abigail? And I just was like, because I believe that you leave the 99 to go find the one.
1: Exactly. Well, with that said, I got Scott Frazier in studio. He's an executive artist manager for 10th Street Management, managed tons of big bands. And uh, we became friends. We had a call. And just loved his story, and I had to have him on. And the best is yet to come. I'm telling you right now, I've heard this, and it's going to be phenomenal. Stay tuned in. Also, make sure you go to the Whosoever's uh, YouTube. Go to Ryan Reese's YouTube. Subscribe. Get all the past radio shows. And uh, we tour. We are constantly touring and invading the public school system so we can reach these students, just like Scott's daughter, where she was at in school. We are getting in front of the public school students and letting them know that God loves them. He has a plan. And if they are struggling with addictions or self-harm or anything, that God can set them free through a relationship with him. So we'll be back in two minutes right after the break with Scott Frazier. Peace.
2: More of The Ryan Reese Show. Coming up, post your questions at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. Over the past four years, an astounding 51,000 students from seven states, five countries, and 183 schools have responded to the gospel message because of the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour. living in today's world gathers as much information in one day as a 15-year-old 80 years ago would have gathered in one full year. Do you realize the youth suicide rate is at an all-time high? Listen, in the next 24 hours in the USA alone, 1,439 teens will attempt suicide. Every 100 minutes, a teen takes their own life. 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant and 15,006 teens will use drugs for the first time. The increasing amount of noise bombarding our students daily is destroying their minds and souls at an alarming rate. For this reason, the whosoevers kill the noise tour is a necessity.
1: All right, dude, we are at the Kill the Noise Tour. We're in California right now, and it's about to pop off. We're getting everyone ready. We're gonna pray, and then uh, basically the event's gonna start, and we're gonna see all kinds of kids come to the Lord. It's gonna be sick.
2: To reach as many students as we possibly can with the message of the gospel. This is no easy task. We need kingdom builders like you to join us in this battle against the ever-increasing noise that surrounds the lives of these students. Please consider helping us expand this mission by partnering with the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour. Thank you for empowering future generations with us.
1: Now back back to the Ryan Reese show. We are back, and I have Scott Frazier in studio. He's the manager, artist manager for Tenth Street Entertainment. You you started this whole uh, company, right, Tenth Street? No, uh, I
0: didn't. Uh, I'm actually uh, <laughs> that's interesting. So I, I ran my own business for for 17 of my of my years, mm-hmm. and um, and then um, I lost a big client uh, in 2012. And started at that time, started thinking about like where I was going to go. And oh, uh, right. I decided to, to do a, I merged my company with 10th street and did a deal with them. But awesome. no, 10th street has been, has been a leading management firm for 30 years. Yeah. And, um, I, I ended up landing there. So glad I did. They've been great to me, but, um, yeah, I, I wish I was the guy that started it, but I'm not, I'm just ai <laughs> I'm I'm just an, I'm just an artist manager there. Um, and I have a partnership with them.
1: Dude, that's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. All right, well, right before the break, we were just talking about how, you know, you obviously, your brother, you you got your brother signed, you signed another big band, and uh, God was doing awesome things. Then all of a sudden, your brother gets addiction. He gets addicted. He loses his deal, which was gnarly. He spirals out of control into drugs, gets his teeth knocked out, becomes a bum basically on the street, which happens with addiction. We've heard the story many times, and God uses you to get a hold of him. And he gets recovered. And now he's doing amazing. He has a book and he's a public speaker and just doing great in life. But then all of a sudden, here comes another storm. Boom. You find out that your 16 year old daughter gets addicted to pills and now she's messing with heroin at this time. And what is going on in your head? And how do you how do you start interceding in this?
0: So, so yeah, it, it, like I said earlier, it wasn't like it, it didn't, wasn't just full blown addiction. It was like, there was all these little, these little signs. Right. And then, uh, and then, and then it got to a place where, where we knew that something bad had happened and um, she got arrested. There was, uh, you know, just a lot of things that happened is to, we'd be on this, we'd be on this, uh, this, this call for hours to hear it all. But um yeah. She, she basically, we found out she was using heroin and then um, I just basically, because she's my daughter, I couldn't just leave her. Oh, so I, yeah. <laughs> I, I relentlessly pursued her just like I did with my brother. And, uh, and I, I know now that, that he's allowed me to, to go through that said to, uh, to give me the strength and the tools and the, the, the perseverance to be able to deal with her. Um, but her story, man, goes to a place that's like totally renewed my faith in God, totally renewed the way I, the way he is, the way he redeems things and fixes things that are broken. I've seen it. Um, And if it's okay, I'd love to tell you a little bit about it.
1: We got 22 Um, minutes, so let it rip.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, there was all these little instances, you know, this, it was a 10 year, she's 28 now, but around 25, 24 was when it was really at the heyday of like, yeah. it's really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I tell you then, I went to places that we shouldn't go. Like I was in, I was pulling my daughter out of trap houses, going into these trap houses, like with people with guns, man, like what are you doing here? And, and me having to be like, yo, man, I'm not here for any trouble. I'm just here to, I'm a dad that's just here to get his daughter. And I would carry her out and then I would take her somewhere and I'd get her some help. And she went through several different uh, treatment facilities. I connected with my church back home and they helped sponsor her going to a place called teen challenge. Oh, we love um, teen challenge. Yeah. Which is a a biblical based uh, recovery program. She did that. We thought she had it licked and spiraled right back into a relapse that went for another several years but, um, but this last time though was the one where it was like, okay, this is, this is, this is, uh, nobody will ever tell me that God didn't direct at all. <laughs> and w- what happened was, um, what had happened was, you know, um,
1: <laughs> you got the same personality uh, as me.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, but we, uh, um, <clears throat> I got a phone call from her or she went through a treatment facility. She got out. She was totally like things look great. I was like, Oh, she's got it licked. Yeah. And, um, I went to, went to Nashville and I uh, ended up, uh, for some reason I had this gut feeling because she had, she was living in a halfway house and because they tell you, don't bring them home. You got to let them, they've got to learn how to, how to find life. You can be there to support them, but you, you can't enable them and you got to let them figure it out. So she went to a halfway house and she was doing great. She was working. She calls me one day and she's like, dad, i'm gonna uh I found this place they'll rent me a room um and I'm gonna rent it it's it, it's not the most glamorous, but at least it'll be my place my room so she did that she was paying her bills everything was fine and um uh, I just started noticing some things that were like something's not right, and I'm on my way back from nashville
1: like like I, what like silence. what kind of signs so
0: um, like just her behavior patterns. Like right. I would notice that she was being more elusive. Like she didn't want to, uh, like, whereas I'd call her and she'd pick up on the first ring. Hey dad, hey, you know, and talking and, and it became more distancing herself. And I started to see those same signs again. And I was like, okay, something's not right. Right. So I'm on my way back from Nashville and, um, my gut just said, swing by that place and check on her. Well, I did. And when I, when I got there. Um, she didn't open the door immediately, but I could hear somebody behind the door. And uh, anyway, she opens the door and I could tell that she had been trying to clean up behind herself there. And when I saw her, my heart just broke because uh, the track marks on her arms were the worst I've ever seen Damn. ever. Um, she looked emaciated and uh, truly, man, her room looked like a crime scene. I mean, there was blood splatters on the wall from where she was missing veins and, and, uh, it was, it was horrifying. And so I called, I said, that's it. I'm going to call and get you help right now. And, um, I stepped outside to make a phone call to call uh, her sponsor and get some help. And she took off on foot and she left and I lost her. And, uh, <clears throat> anybody who's had a child or anybody that's in addiction, they'll, they'll disappear for a few days, but. They will resurface. They'll call you to tell you that, you know, either they need some money or, you know, that, you know, come, come help me or, right. or to let you know they're okay. Don't worry about me. Didn't hear from her for over a week. And I knew that something wasn't right. I kept praying about it, just asking God, just where you, just please help me find her. Right. And this one Saturday, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my, I get up for, for coffee. It's like six o'clock in the morning. I woke up early and, and I go in and I tell my wife, I said, I'm leaving. I grabbed my keys and I just had this feeling came over me. It was like, get up and go drive back down to that place to her, to her place. Well, what, city, had, been... sorry,
1: what's, what city is this in? In Louisville, Kentucky. So th- okay. So this is in Kentucky.
0: In Louisville. Yeah. And, and uh, for that whole week, I had been going back down to her, her room that she was renting right. at different times. I would show up at six o'clock. I'd go at one o'clock in the morning. I was going at all these different times. Cause I was like, I'm going to catch her in one of these. And so that Saturday I wake up and I go down there and uh, there was this guy that uh, I I pulled up. um, There's nobody there. And I start praying. Then this car pulls up beside me and it was this guy that he and I had, had had words. I knew that he had given my daughter drugs before. And we had a, we had an altercation between the two of us verbally and he pulls up. And the first thing I thought was I'm going to get out of this car. I'm going to beat this guy up and whatever but something this, this thing came over me and said, no, just, just talk to him. And I did. And I said, Hey, listen, man, I know you and I've had some issues, but I'm just, I haven't heard from Abigail for a week and I'm afraid if I don't find her today, something's telling me she's going to die. Okay. And he lied to me and told me he hadn't heard from her or anything. And he started to walk away. And, and before he got in the door, he turns around, he comes back and he said, and he just lets his sigh on. He said, all right, I did hear from your daughter. She called me this morning at five o'clock this morning, which is weird because I had woke up that morning feeling like something telling me you need to go. Yep. And he's like, I heard from your daughter and uh, she begged me for help. I took her to a needle exchange and uh, I dropped her off at this apartment complex. Well, the place that he dropped her off, when I tell you, it's like New Jack City.
1: Yeah. That's exactly
0: what it was. It was like, what is
1: breakdown? Like what someone for a listener doesn't know what a trap house looks like. What does it look like? Walk in these places.
0: You walk in, man. And it's literally just people doing drugs everywhere. Like, and it's just filth. It's not, it's not elegant at all. It's just find a corner, find a spot, find a mattress, find a, whatever, and people are helping you shoot up there. You're shooting up they're smoking their crack. They're doing it's it's out it's of control. Just the worst
1: filth of filth. Just disgusting.
0: Exactly. With people there that have with people that are helping supply the drugs. Right. Right. Making it a place where they can come and quote unquote, feel safe to do their drugs.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Uh, but uh, yeah, really, really not a good place. But so I, I, uh, I go to this, this apartment complex where she was supposedly at, it's 500 units and it's those ones where like all the entrances of the, of the apartments are all front facing. Yeah. Like they do like cat calls and stuff from the, from the, from God. the different levels, like to not let people know that somebody here is like potentially snooping around. Yeah. Really crazy. Um, Long story short, I ended up, uh, I tracked her down there. Um, I searched the security cameras and we found her on security camera, uh, walking in the building, but no security of her, no video of her leaving. I stayed there all day long. Um, just showing people like, Hey, have you seen this girl? And I'm just the dad and it's pretty sketchy, man. But this lady walks up to me, this is crazy. So this lady walks up to me. She goes, Hey, you look like you're in distress. Uh, I'm a floor manager here and honey, you just stay with me. And nobody will bother you. And I said, well, we're going to find my daughter. I said, but uh, I don't know if you believe in God, but I'd like to pray before we go do that. Her and I pray. I stay there the rest of the day. She ends up, I end up flushing her out. She takes off on foot um, that evening with two men, runs out the back entrance. Security tells me that she's on foot. I give chase and I run after her. I lost her again. She, I couldn't. Keep, I'm, I'm an old guy. I couldn't keep up.
1: Unbelievable. And
0: so we, we, me and that lady, Victoria, yeah. we turn around. And we go back to the, uh, we go back to the, uh, um, to the apartments. And I said, "Tell me if you have security cameras on the outside." And they did. And I saw the direction in which my daughter was running. And so me and Victoria get back in my vehicle and we drive down towards this area, which is heading like towards a homeless camp basically like tent city, homeless people underneath overpasses and stuff. Just nasty part of the town.
1: If you're from LA, it look like Skid Row, basically.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Is where you're navigating. And and so I drove drove around for about 30, 40 minutes around there, looking for her, looking for her, seeing all the same things that you would see in a trap house, seeing all that stuff there and uh, nothing. So me and Victoria decided to pray again. And I said, well, "I'm going to give this one more chance." I said, "We're we're gonna. I just let's just me and you pray." And she kept telling me about how she doesn't believe in this God thing and all that. And, I, <laughs> I and I'm that. like, but "I say, well, that's cool." I said, "But I believe that when two or more people are gathered together to pray, that He's there." So I said, "He's here and He's yeah. going to help us find him." So I said, "Here's what we're going to do." I said, "We're going to do one more pass around, and I'm just going to ask homeless people like, have you seen this girl?'" First guy that I pulled up to in my vehicle. I called him over to my, my, my forerunner and I said, Hey man, have you seen this girl? As soon as I asked him that question, his eyes opened up real wide and he, he goes, you're that father looking for his daughter.
1: Oh no! And I'm like, out.
0: and I'm like, how do you even know that for one? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I am. And yeah. he goes, she's, she's right over there. And he points at these tents just immediately. She's right there. And I look and I'm like, I don't see anything. So I drive down, I creep around, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, I look back out the window to ask this dude, like, which tent is this? Yeah. And he's gone. Oh, no. Um, so we drive around the corner, uh, get out, we walk back. I'm trying, I'm looking intense, like physically. And I'm, I'm carrying a weapon at that time.
1: Right. Because right. I'm like,
0: oh, I've got to be safe. Yep. And um, long story short, man, out of nowhere, here comes that same guy on a bicycle, didn't even look at me, no, made no eye contact with me. Just goes straight and says, it's the second grade one. It's the second grade one. I turn around, and when I turn around and look, the guy that had run out of the uh, the apartments with my daughter, I saw him in the street when, when, when I gave chase after her, and he right. pointed me in the wrong direction. He was oh. sitting there, instantly sitting there. And uh, Victoria said, I think I see somebody moving in that tent went in to get, went in and looked inside that tent and sure enough my daughter was in there and she uh she had a needle uh hanging out of her um she looked like death she was completely dehydrated hadn't eaten food and that whole week that i had you know she was really bad and uh i had her arrested she was on probation and i it was the hardest thing i ever did i called her probation officer and um, we got her clean first, got her through detox, and then revoked her probation. So had by, her put in jail.
1: So by and, by getting her cl- by calling the her probation officer, that's the easy way to get her out and off the street because it, she's just going to keep running, and she looks like death, and she's yeah. going to die basically. Yeah, exactly. hardest thing, but like pretty much the only thing you can really do at that point if you're literally chasing her from house to house and to tent to tent, craziness.
0: Yeah. So, so, but the best part of the whole story, man. But um, and I can share this by God's grace. My daughter is is sober today. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's been a year and a half. Um, she's got a good job. She's back with her son. Um, it's remarkable. But the best part of the story is, is I went back down the next day to the place where I those people had helped me, and more specifically, Victoria, and she ran to me and said, I know I told you I didn't believe in God. I know I told you that, but after what I saw yesterday, okay, wh- what do I need to do? Where can I learn about that? And I said, <laughs> well, let me, I, I said, let me invite you to church. Yeah. So I would drive down to the hood basically and pick this girl up for church every Sunday. And, um, I had the honor of baptizing Victoria and led her to Christ about four months ago.
2: That's amazing, And,
0: and uh, she calls me every week now and, uh, And this is what she says when she calls me, Scott, I found another one, Kiki. She's 19. She's, I I, I pulled her in and she's, she's got a a pimp and, and she's being sex trafficked and this and that. And I'm going in and, and pulling these girls out and taking them to a, to a place that uh, can get them help. And it's just turned into this whole thing that I never thought would be. And honestly, man, I love managing artists and I love what, what God has done that, but I almost feel like that he's that all of that was all to get me to hear to help these young girls out, man, and to do something there.
1: Wow. My mind is blown away. I'm getting kind of choked up just hearing the story again, just how, you know, here you are and God is using you for his good, like the management and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's awesome, but you're actually now saving lives of these young girls and you have that compassion for them. Cause they're like your daughters, basically what, what they're going through. And I love the fact that this girl's inside the, uh, she works there. God divinely places girl there. God her saved. And now she's doing his work by reaching out and doing this whole new ministry. So that's pretty much what you've been, what you're doing on the side or, you know, whatever, uh, you're doing this ministry on the side and you're just reaching girls out one by one as God opens the door, because I know it's a very difficult thing to do with these girls that are getting human trafficked and having pimps. We have several friends that work in this industry. Um, it's hard for them to break away because of fear, the addiction. There's a lot, the, the strongholds from the enemy. But you are seeing yeah. one by one, going, I like that verse you said, going after, leaving the 99 and going after the one. Because what does the Bible say when, when, one, re- when one gets saved, all the angels in heaven rejoice. It's, it's not yeah. a number game. It's just one by one, reaching one person's life at a time phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it's been, it's really been cool, man. And, and, uh, you know, just to be able to, uh, like I said, I love managing and, and that's my, that's my, my gig and it's what supports my family, but man, I have such a heart and you know, honestly, even before that, the thing that really made me want to really dive into that. And this is that this gets me choked up to this day because there was this one moment that happened in one of the trap houses that I pulled my daughter out of. I'll never forget it. I'm carrying her out and this girl was standing in the doorway and you could tell that she'd been, she'd been, had a hard life. And, uh, at one time probably was a very pretty girl. She still was pretty, very pretty. But, um, she was standing in the doorway of this trap house as I'm walking out and she was starting to cry. She had tears coming down her eyes. She looked me in my face as I walked by and this is what she said to me. She goes, I wish my daddy would come and save me.
1: No way.
0: And it freaked me out, dude. I got like I it gets me emotional was talking about it, but I literally got in my car with my daughter, man, and uh, I drove down about a block down the street, and then I pulled the vehicle over, and I just was overcome with, with uh with just tears, man, because that I never I've never forgot that, man, that of uh of, of of that girl saying that to me. Never forgot it.
1: That is heavy, no for sure. Yeah. So, here at the end of this show, we have about five minutes left. Um, what would you like to say to encourage um parents, you know mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, friends of of people that are dealing with family members that are uh, dealing with addiction or they're they're seeing their daughters or sons just running off and just not walking with God and just basically just getting tore up from? from the enemy, what, what encouragement, and you could take your time, what encouragement would you want to leave them with and what shall they do during this time until their kids come back to the Lord?
0: So the first thing is, is that is pray. Mm -hmm. Um, because I believe in that man. Um, and just, and, and I don't mean like prayers, like you hear people, there's, there's no right way to do it. Just have a conversation with God, man and ask for his guidance and ask for him to help, you know, help in that situation. But I also would say, there's a difference between enabling and pursuing. Don't give up on them. You pursue them and let them know. Because look, at the end of the day, that's what God does with us. Right. You know, and that's that's the reason that I, that I was so relentless in my pursuit was I was like, I think about how many times in my life that I've done something that's not great. That's, that's dishonorable. That's whatever. And he still died for me and he still did what he did for me. And he still pursued me and still pursues me to this day relentlessly.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he's a father. So I'm like, well, how can, how do you be a good dad? How do you be a good mom? Well, that's the way you, you, you pursue them relentlessly and you let God direct it. Um, You know, there's, there's places that, you know, Get involved with a local church, you know, um, would be another thing, you know, get engaged, be, mm-hmm. you know, be a part of the church, isn't the building, man. Yeah. This right here, what we're doing, this is church. Yep.
1: So, with, reaching people. with that said, prayer, you said prayer, and it, that's the thing that a lot of people don't do because they try to take you all these actions. But when you're looking at your story, clearly you're, and prayer's talking, by the way. You're just like, "Hey, like when I wake up this morning, hey, God, forgive me of my sins and and, and show me what to do today, what do you want to do in my life? and um, I want to be open to whatever you have for me that's That's me praying, but I'm just talking to God like as a person for you for you listeners, but clearly your story, you're talking to God praying, and he's just lining it up, lining it up. You're with this girl that doesn't even believe praying, and showing he's bringing guys in your house guys into your life, oh, she's there. oh, she just went out the back like prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer divinely leads you and guides you to where you have to go in these scenarios. Doing it without prayer is is insanity like you can 't do it without prayer you 've got to pray that God can open the door and break through all the strongholds and stuff for you to for him to basically penetrate the mind and the heart of these ones that are caught up in these addictions and and footholds. And then, I love how you said Teen Challenge. We work with Teen Challenges, and we speak of them all around the world. I was just speaking at the main castle here in LA a couple uh, about a week ago. But they're set up all around the United States. Actually, all around the world. I've spoken to them in Australia as well. They're all over the world. And they are a Holy Spirit-filled ministry. They'll, they'll go in there. You can get cleaned up. They're going to give you the Word because the Word is what changes you or washes them. And um, the, all those people that come out of there are spirit filled. Yes, sometimes they get tripped up and then on detour and they go back, but the Jesus ministry is messy. And you know what? It's messy, it's flawed, but you continue on the pursuit for Christ and after your kids, and God will pull through. It took my mom prayed for probably 18 years to 20 years for me to get saved, and I ended up giving my life to Christ. Uh, 18 years later and I tried to get sober. I'd go back. I tried to get sober. It was this messy ministry of of the enemy continuing to come after me. But there was a day when I had an encounter with God and God filled me with this spirit. I repented and he transformed my life. And it's been 14 years since uh, that day, uh, 14 years ago. So be encouraged, keep pursuing, keep praying and God will do it in his timing. Scott, Thank you for being on the show. This is Scott Fraser from Tenth Street Management. Um, story was incredible. You guys go to YouTube, go to Ryan Reese YouTube, subscribe, get this link, share it with your friends. This is a very relevant story and will impact many. And if you want to follow the Whosoever's movement, check us out on uh, Instagram or any of our social handles. Go to our website. Contact us, book us. Um, I also have a book. It's called Kill the Noise. It's where everywhere, everywhere you can buy books or sold, uh, Ryan Reese, Kill the Noise, and it's actually a faith-building book, a discipleship book that will help you walk through life. You can download the Bible app, the Holy Bible app, type in my name as well, or the whosoevers, and their seven-day devotions that we're dropping through the Gospel of John that will grow your faith, encourage you, and disciple you. And you're on the Bible app, so read the Bible while you're there. Scott Frazier, thank you for being on. Love you, my brother. And I hope to we will hang out one day in person, actually. (laughs) I,
0: I hope so, man. Peace.
2: This has been The
0: Ryan Reese Show. To connect and find out more about Ryan, Click on
1: ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for The Ryan Reese Show.